Welcome back to Biblical Book Review. I'm Kevin. I'm Alec. And I'm George. We are so happy you are joining us for today's study. Last week we did the first section of chapter 12, the first announcement of Christ's death. Today we are going to finish up chapter 12. What is the second part of chapter 12, George? It is what A.B. Bruce describes as the universal law of discipleship. If you want to follow me, pick up your cross, and Luke even adds the word daily, and follow me. And it's going to cost you something. And so it's kind of like these are a, a double punch. The first one, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised. And then he says, if it happens to me, it's bound to happen to you also. So be ready. So this universal law of discipleship is not just for those 12. It's for all disciples of Christ. Yeah, and the the disciples then, especially when they would have heard, pick up your cross, the cross was this uh, execution uh, symbol. It was not like we see the cross today as a religious symbol, symbolizing Jesus as it's got its religious connotation. When Jesus would have said this, this would have been very, very shocking. Uh, pick up your cross? What are you talking about? That's a, that's something the Romans do to kill criminals. What do, what do we... What are we talking about here, Jesus? <laughs> yeah, I'm not a criminal. I don't need to pick up a cross. <laughs> well, in fact, you are. <laughs> yeah, yes. And so when they hear this, and as Alec is pointing out, it's like this This is going to be really bizarre because we, we use it as jewelry. We have it hanging around our neck. And, and imagine if we did that with the electric chair. You know, if we made a golden electric chair and hung it around our neck, it's like, what, what are you wearing exactly? Why are you wearing that? And so for these individuals, when Jesus says, you got to bear your own cross. That's got to be very startling. But I think the disciples here are like, well, that's better than the first announcement. I think this is possibly doable. Really, what does the cross have to do with us? Really, like like Alec was saying, we're not criminals. Like Kevin was saying, we're we're law-abiding citizens. We're, we're, we should be void of that. We shouldn't even be worried about that. But Jesus is going to explain exactly what he means when he says, pick up your cross and follow me. Yeah, and the... the- way it was said to is not just to the disciples, obviously that's who he said it to first, but it's to us that we need to pick up our crosses. And obviously we know that, and I'm looking forward into to getting into this because this chapter opened up a few things to me that I had never thought of before. Being raised in the church, picking up your cross daily is something you get told from the beginning. Like, yeah, I'm going to have to do this. But, you know, with the way A.B. Bruce puts it, it's like, well, not everyone even thinks they should pick up the cross. And so Jesus has just described that when he arrives in Jerusalem, he's going to be killed, but good news, he's coming out of the grave in three days. And now he says, in fact, it's going to happen to you too. And so let no man, A.B. Bruce says, who is unwilling to deny himself and take up his cross, enter here as if there was a sign above the church building door or uh, at the back of the church building. You know, this is the idea. If you're unwilling to deny yourself, take up your cross, then don't even enter. Don't even come in here because it's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. What do you mean by denying yourself, George? And that is that is the question for all time. That is exactly what needs to be addressed as each individual. Because for each of us, it means something slightly different. And at, at different ages in our lifespan and you think about when you're in your 20s, 
what it means to deny yourself. Well, there's, there's certain individuals that are doing certain things and there's certain parties and different things that are going on. And it's like, okay, because I'm a Christian, I'm not going to be involved in those things. I'm going to look at myself and I'm going to say, even though the world wants to be involved in that, not for me. And then as you're, as you enter your thirties and forties, there's other temptations. And when you enter your fifties and sixties and so on. And so for each of us denying ourselves is a very personal uh, response to this in information. And so when he says, deny yourself, we need to look at ourselves as we do weekly, you know, we gather around the table and it's like we examine ourselves and it's like, and at each era in our life, there's a different way to deny ourselves. Yeah, and uh, Paul really goes into depth in this in in Romans chapter seven. He's he's talking about this con- this idea of the conflict of our two natures. We have our our fleshy nature, and we have our spiritual nature. And even Paul describes it as they are constantly at odds with each other. And he describes this: I know what I should do, but I don't do it. I know what I ought to do, what I ought not do, and all these different things. And he goes into this really detailed uh, description in Romans chapter seven of this conflict that we all have as Christians uh, where we understand there is a spiritual side to who we are and we have to deny that physical side and it's a endurance race as Paul describes it it's a constant lifelong endeavor of this denying yourself your fleshy desires and doing what Jesus has required spiritually for you to be seen as righteous in his face. And that's why I like the way Luke puts it as daily. Because just because you defeat something one day, you, you know, steer away from temptation, you deny yourself, well, you're going to have to do it again the next day and the next day and probably the rest of your life. Because it's just a constant thing, like you said, from Romans. And so as Jesus uh, brings this to bear, he says, okay, my example is going to be to die a, a miserable, horrible death, but I'm doing it voluntarily. Some of the apostles will also die a miserable, horrible death. And if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, it's you know the the history lesson of all these these first and second century Christians. It's pretty impressive what they endured and the hardships that they actually bore, the cross that they really bore. But generally speaking, it's going to be less severe and it's going to be less heavy than what Christ actually bore. But it could be very, very similar. There's been examples of individuals who have died uh, by being burned at the stake, by being crucified, by all the different things that have happened throughout the history of Christianity. And Jesus says there's no following Jesus on any other terms. Daily, pick up your cross and follow me. Yeah, and that's one of the main you know, misunderstandings when we uh, convert new Christians, this idea of, well, I understand. I, I've got to. I've got to hear the message. I got to believe it. I have to repent of my sins. That means you know, stop sinning. And then we get to this uh, this concept of confess Jesus as Lord. And this is not the uh, in the in the Catholic term confessing sins to one another. That type of confession. This is a more of a declaration. I am declaring that I am no longer in charge. You are in charge. I am declaring this is, he is my master, everything that I am, that I own, that everything that I will ever be, he is in control. And if that's our mindset going into Christianity, then we got to expect to, 
you know, suffer. Because that's another thing in Scripture that describes uh, suffering as a when, not an if. <laughs> uh, it says, uh, when you suffer, uh, this is how we respond, not if you suffer. Uh, if you're going to be a Christian, expect self-denial and suffering. It's going to happen. Yeah. As I was reading this chapter, I thought of the parable of the workers in the vineyard, right? All getting paid the same amount, even though they were in there for different periods of time working. And every time I've heard that parable before, I always thought, well, that's just based on time, right? Those who grew up in the church were baptized young. They're going to work longer, but they get paid the same amount. Reading this made me think it also comes to sacrifice too. It's not always time. There's going to be some people that have to sacrifice a ton. We look at the early Christians. They've gone through way more than I will ever have to go through. Yet we all get the same reward. And what a what a great uh, gospel that is. That is good news. And so Jesus says, here's the law of the cross. And here are some reasons. And A.B. Bruce delineates them into three reasons. He says, here's how it's going to make it easier to follow this particular law. To deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. He says, I'm going to give you three reasons. And as you read that passage in Matthew, you start to see the little word for, and it's like each time Jesus uses the word for, it's another reason. And so let's look at each one of those reasons on how this obeying this command is going to make, uh, make it easier if we listen to these three reasons. Yeah, so Jesus is going into a, uh, a three-point sermon right after a five-point sermon. <laughs> I still Amen. think you guys should least keep it to, like, three is the most. <laughs> Maybe, like, try, like, a two or a one. Have you ever done that? A two or one? Have you ever paid attention? Oh, well, that's, okay. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so when Jesus says, okay, here's, here's reason number one. He goes, for whosoever will save his life will lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. It's like, wait, is that... That's some kind of paradox. Are we? Are you talking in riddles again? What is? What do you mean? Whoever will save his life, and of course, we have to look at the words in the original language. We have to understand the context, and we have to look at how this makes sense if we are thinking only for our natural, fleshly life, and that's our priority one. He says you're going to give up the spiritual life. And if you're thinking of your spiritual life, then all these other things that you are concerned about, it sounds similar to his Sermon on the Mount. He says, they'll be added to you. And it's like the contrast between the natural or the flesh and the spiritual, the contrast is constantly in front of us. And so the first reason, he says, this is what you need to focus on, the renewed spiritual life of your soul. And you can save it if you focus on that first. Jamiliot says, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. We can't keep our life here. Like, we are going to die. Tax, you know, taxes and death, right? Alec, I That's do it. pay attention to your sermons because that comes up every <laughs> other week. Taxes and death, can't escape it, right? It's your favorite intro into the... Um, Come forward, what's that? Invitation. Favorite intro into the invitation is taxes and death. Can't avoid them. Are you ready for them? Not taxes, but death. Right? So we go into that. And in spiritual life, we can't lose that. Bread of life. We talked about this. The tree of life. Eating from that. Being a part of the kingdom is forever. 
why would we not suffer for a little bit now? And he even references uh, Paul's writing to Timothy uh, in the in the book on page 186. He say, you know what? If this is what you're really after, if you really want the spiritual soul and you really seek after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, we could do a three-point sermon on each one of those words. That's the price you pay. And it's going to be worth it. And so when we, we understand that there's going to be something that we must lose, and it's the, the favor of the natural life in, in preference to the favor of the spiritual life, then we see it's worth it because there's something better coming along. There was a uh, study done that was really fascinating. It was talking about delayed gratification. So they take these toddlers and they put them in a room and they put a big bowl of marshmallows in front of them. And then they show them a huge bag of marshmallows, right? And so they have like a couple marshmallows in front of them, but they see this big bag and they say, hey, if you can wait till I come back to the room, you can have all the marshmallows you want, but you cannot eat the ones that I leave here in this room. And they wanted to see, and they did the study, they watched these children and it was something like, 2% 2% of the children actually sat there and like on their hands. And it was like really comical because they said that some kids would like pick them up, put them down, toss them around, put them down, like almost try to take a bite, but put it back. Like, and then they eventually all give in, right? Except for a select few. Then they watched these children grow up. And the ones that were able to delay gratification were a lot more successful in life than those who gave into the gratification, that study shows basically what we're talking about here. If we can deny ourselves, delay our gratification, we can have, you know, we're part of the kingdom. That's so much better than a marshmallow here. We get a bag of marshmallows there. Yeah. And the, the difficulty of all of this is I am a physical being. And I assume everybody listening to this is a physical being as well. <laughs> uh, you never know in this day and age what people are, but <laughs> this idea of, of you're, you're, you're a physical person. And so thinking physically is natural. Uh, Paul calls it the natural man. It's our fleshy man. It's, that's who we are. And Jesus is saying, there's a second part of you. And it's the more important part of you. It's your spiritual self. It's the eternal part of you. And we need to live to basically uh, please God with our spiritual self. And that's going to require this, uh, like you're talking about, Kevin, this delayed gratification of our physical self. We need to get in the mindset of this life is, as Scripture describes it, but a vapor. It is incomparable to the eternity that God has prepared for us. And we need to be... Uh, that, as Dad says in his sermons, <laughs> I listen. He says we need to be <laughs> a prepared people for a prepared place. We need to have that type of mindset as individuals living this physical life, being prepared for the spiritual life. Yeah, I think it's important too to also point out that it's not all doom and gloom. Like the Christian life is not terrible, it, but I do want to put a caveat to that too because people I've heard this said well. I may not be right, but at least it's not a bad life. Well, that's not the attitude to have, right? That's a terrible attitude, actually, because you need to have conviction that you are doing what you need to be doing. But it's not a terrible life to live as a Christian. It's not all pain and suffering. Yes, there is pain and suffering, but there's a lot of joy, too. And I, I kind of tag along with that idea. Uh, 
we live in a country where our cross-bearing is really very simple uh, compared to even in in our same era in the same time period people we just returned from Honduras and some of their crosses they have to bear in Honduras is to us almost unimaginable but our denial it's like well it's it's small but there has to be some sacrifice and so Jesus says reason number one you've got to have this in your mind take the spiritual over the natural that's step one step two you have to understand the actual value of your soul he says for what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul and we can go back in our history and we can see esau kind of gave up his birthright you know for a, a bowl of soup it's like really what what are you willing to give up your soul for is it just a a bowl of soup judas you know 30 pieces of silver he was he was bought and paid for for 30 pieces of silver it's like really that's it and there's people that don't understand the value of the soul it is incomparable to anything that's here on this earth and you think about billionaires and millionaires and everybody aspires to having all this money it's like if you had the whole world it doesn't compare to the value of your soul so don't make a foolish transaction when it comes to your soul well i think that goes to the point that it doesn't matter if it's a marshmallow or if it's a billion dollars if you sell out you sell out and it's over for you it doesn't matter really what that price is it's the fact of you sold out we look back to the beginning of this chapter satan is counting on that he wants you to sell out he thinks and he's gonna you know he's a businessman he wants to make it as cheap as possible because he has to spread out the selling out the best thing you can do is just walk out of the dealership. <laughs> like, I don't, want, I don't want it. I don't want whatever you're selling. And you, there's no price that I will pay. Yeah, and unfortunately, far too often, uh, the price is so minuscule. Uh, the price, like we're talking about with the marshmallows or whatever, uh, it's I don't want to be put in an uncomfortable situation. I don't want to have a, uh, a, a awkward conversation. I don't want to, you know, whatever it is, and it's like, that's what you're willing to sell your soul for. Uh, it's when you compare it to some of these other people that uh, endured, and we talked about Fox's books of Mar- Book of Martyrs and all these early Christians that would refuse to sell out and what they had to endure because of it. And then we look at our, our cross-bearing here in this country, and it's like, man, uh, what, what, we, what weak People, people of little faith, sometimes we can be put ourselves into, uh, and we just have to have that mindset of our soul is incredibly valuable, uh, and don't let Satan buy it for anything, even if it's just an uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> and I love the way A.B. Bruce kind of brings this to bear, and he says, the, there's millions that are just happy to go along with the crowd and just be only thinking of their physical self and they uh they said give us wealth give us health give us houses and lands and honors we don't care about righteousness we don't care about peace peace of conscience we don't care about the joy in the holy spirit we don't care about any of that we just want to be comfortable here 
And when we're comfortable here, we won't be comfortable hereafter. And so Jesus says, recognize the value of your soul and don't sell it for any price. Yeah, the way that A.B. Bruce describes right before you read that section, he says, uh, you know, the great ambition of the million is to be happy as animals, not to be blessed as saved, noble-spirited, or sanctified men. And going through stressful things actually does us a lot of good. Going back to that design, we talked about this in fasting. We talk about it, you know, how if we follow the Bible and what God tells us to do, we are blessed through that. Going through stress, if it's not prolonged and forever, is a good thing. Let me think about working out. What is that? Stress to the body, right? The fasting, stress to the system, but it actually ends up benefiting us. Same with being uncomfortable, pushing our comfort zones, getting outside of that. It's good for us. It's good for us to suffer. The problem is our country is all designed to seek comfort and not to suffer at all. So the moment you become a Christian, you have to be counter culture and seek suffering to a degree. Yeah, be okay in the midst of suffering. And so his third argument, Jesus says, okay, I want you to bear your cross, and it's because of these three things. He says, I want you to understand the difference between natural life, spiritual life. I want you to understand it's gonna, there's some value to your soul that is incomparable. And the third reason is because I'm coming back. I'm going to return for you and take you home with me. And so there's this contrast between the present and the future of our existence. Right now, it may be really difficult. We've got a, a congregation here in Hazlitt that's just, they're just uh, old and weak and feeble and they're sick and they're in the hospital and they, it's just, it's just constant. And I can't, I can't picture it yet. And it's like, oh, and the idea, it's temporary. We have to understand that this is just a passing glimpse of exactly what's coming. And he says, there's this future that awaits that is beyond our imagination. And he says, cross bearers, you put on that crown of righteousness and you're going to forget all about all of those problems, all of that suffering, all of that natural problem throughout your entire life because now you get to live forever in the presence of God. And we, but there's that flip side of this coin here as well uh, on this point three. Jesus is coming back. Uh, there were some first century Christians and still Christians today, but especially there in the first century, Jesus said, I'm coming back soon. And so they figured it's come to be like now. Like, and so we don't have to do anything. We can just kind of sit down. We can sell all of our stuff. We can sit around on our, on our butts and just kind of, you know, take life easy until he comes back because he's coming back. He said he was. And so there's this misunderstanding of uh, Jesus's return. He is coming back and it is going to be soon, but we are still thinking physical in that sense where soon could be, you know, a matter of years where in it, God is an eternal being. What is soon to someone who is eternal? <laughs> uh, that, that is, uh, we just have to live like we talked about earlier, prepared, ready for his return all the time and striving for that being ready at all times our entire life even if it's not soon as our physical standards would be he is coming back and i know he's coming back because he said he would uh, and w when has god ever not kept his promises <laughs> well and that's why i think he says 
like a thief in the night. And that's why we're told to pray for his coming back because it keeps us in the mindset of, I got to be ready. I can't become complacent and comfortable. I have to keep pushing and striving and growing towards the goal. Yep. And I always, you know, think about in this mindset when I was young, you know, I was, I was a troubled child, you know, imagine that. <laughs> was. And this was forever ago. How do you remember it? I know, it was <laughs> such a long time ago, uh, you know, and I remember I'd be at home and I'd do something and my, mo- my mother would be very angry at me and I would be in trouble and then she would say, wait for your father to get home. This is that mindset. Wait for your father to get home. It's like, what is going to happen when dad gets home? It's not going to be a pretty sight for the son that's in trouble. But on the flip side of that, you're having a great day. All the all the blessings, all the different things are happening. You're you're striving to be a, a good, you know, child. And father comes home, and, th- and then you get to play, and you get to have a great time. It's like it's all of a, a fun event when when dad comes home from work. And so you have this this contrast here that's described in scripture. We need to be prepared uh, for Jesus to come back uh, because that's he's he said he's coming back. We need to be ready for it. And that mindset of the troubled child, you don't forget your dad's coming home if you've been told by your mother, wait for your dad to come home. And even though it's not necessarily a bad context for us to wait for Jesus to come back, but we need to have that same mindset where we don't forget he's coming back. Because I didn't, waiting for my father to come home, I did not forget. No. <laughs> at all. And Jesus, he he says, I want you to look at this from a, from a, a, a natural point of view. You're... You can be a hero. You know, we think about heroes, and you think about those individuals who, who give up everything for a cause that's greater than themselves. And he describes it here in uh, A.B. Bruce's book about being a patriot. And you risk your life for your country's cause. Why? Because it's worth it. And Jesus says, you got to do the same thing for me. When you pick up your cross, you got to risk everything why because it's worth it and this uh, tertullian he quotes tertullian one of the first century fathers you know back in the writings you know those little tiny books that you find in the library it's like there is no certain work where there is an uncertain reward and so without the reward what's the point of the work and jesus says there's going to be glory when i return with my angels and I'm going to look at what everyone has done, and I'm going to welcome those who have done what I've asked them home. There is a definite reward compared to secular happiness, compared to natural, uh, you know, urges and taking, you know, taking care of my physical body. No, it's going to be eternal. It's going to be spiritual, and it's going to be worth it. Yeah, let me read this uh, section here from A.B. Bruce, uh, right where he's quoting. Uh, Tertullian, (laughs) Uh, and he says, uh, uh, equally necessary it is that a Christian should believe in the kingdom of glory, and equally natural and proper that he should cherish the hope of a personal share in its honors and facilities. Where such faith and hope are not, little Christian heroism will be found. For as an ancient church father said, there is no certain work where there is an uncertain reward." Men cannot be heroes in doubt or despair. They cannot struggle after perfection and a divine kingdom. Skeptical, the, the while whether these things be more than doubt imaginations, unreasonable ideals, 
In such a mood, they will take things easy and make secular happiness their chief concern. That's the way he ends the chapter. Yeah, that's how he ends this this section here. Yeah, it's great. It, George, you, you brought something to light that I think we need to touch on. You said the patriot, right? Being a patriot, being able to willing to sacrifice. And I've been told that a true patriot allows their son to go sacrifice. A lot of the times I've noticed that you can put me through anything. I'm willing to bear whatever it is. But you start to put my brothers and my sisters and my loved ones through it. That's when it starts to tear people apart. And that's also part of this too. It ties into that first part of the chapter when Peter said, you can put me through whatever, but not you, Jesus, right? We have that mindset so many times and we need to be able to realize that we're going to have to let those we love go through some stuff because they have their crosses to bear. And that could be us bearing a cross with them, letting them go through things. It's the true patriot that lets his son bear the cross too. And that's the hardest thing for us because I remember going through Sears school. You could slap me around, beat me all day. I can handle it. But when they took the women that were encamped with us and started beating them in front of us and there was nothing we could do, it was causing people to break. And the devil knows that. He knows our psychology. And that's what he does to so many Christians. And I see it. And it's one of those things we have to talk about because we have to get our minds ready for it. And so we can kind of close with this idea. Jesus has given us the forewarning. And so we're, we're now forearmed. And now we can pick up our cross daily and follow him. And there will be times when we drop it, when we fail, when we need some help. You know, Jesus on his way to the cross needed some help to get that massive timber up to the Golgotha. And so there are times when we have to use those individuals around us to help us, to support us. And so he says, I want to give you these reasons. There's good reasons and they're logical, they're reasonable, and they're doable. And so Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And you do it every single day. We leave you with these questions. What cross or crosses have you had to bear for faithfully following Christ? Is there anything in your life today that would indicate you are seeking the natural life as opposed to the spiritual life? Are you faithfully seeking to follow and serve Jesus regardless of the consequences in your personal suffering? Thank you so much for joining us for this week's study. Thank you. 